Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. Well, that was pretty impressive. And uh, I think you probably uh, were as good as everybody else who's joining us today. Hopefully, if you were at one of our other campuses or other locations, you join in with us that today. This is exactly what we're talking about in this series, though, is about hearing from God. And, and this is the question we began with a few weeks ago is, how do you hear from God? And can you hear from God? And maybe you've heard people say before, you know, God told me this, or I heard God say this, or I felt led to do this. And you wondered, like, what is that all about? Like, did they hear an audible voice? Um, did, did they hear some writing and see some writing in the sky? You know, was it, they led to a Bible verse, but this is what we've been talking about. And uh, if you haven't been with us, I'm going to catch us up uh, just a little bit today. Um, but specifically uh, the last two weeks, we've been talking about problems uh, that we have uh, that, that, are, that arise uh, from our desire to hear from God, uh, but maybe going about it in the wrong way. And, and specifically, we talked about um, two things over the last couple of weeks that that caused some of us to miss out on or miss it when God speaks. Uh, we've been looking this series uh, through the lens of the story of Moses, which is a fantastic story. I'm not going to cover all of it, uh, the story of Moses, but uh, we're covering a, a, a good bit of his early years. And today, as we're wrapping up this series, um, I, we're going to look at a really interesting part of his story. We're actually going to go backwards. But, but in, in week one, uh, we talked about the, the burning bush story. Some of you remember this story. Um, Moses was headed in a direction, and uh, he was actually a fugitive, but he's out tending sheep. He's in the wilderness. Um, he's probably bewildered. And all of a sudden he sees this burning bush. And, and when he sees this phenomenon, he, it captures his attention. And, and the scripture says that he turned aside to see, which is actually two Hebrew words, which means to, to abandon or, or to step away from or depart from and give your attention to. These two Hebrew words, that's what it means. And the scripture says something remarkable, that when God saw that Moses turned aside to see, same phrase, um, he spoke. And um, isn't it true that many of us, uh, oftentimes when we want to hear from God, what we're trying to do is get God's attention rather than give him ours. And sometimes God's trying to get our attention. We talked about that in week one. The second problem uh, we talked about in terms of why we have a difficult time hearing from God is because many of us have, like Moses, have these tapes or these messages that are playing in our head that are, that are messages maybe from childhood or from somebody else. And when God says something or, or our objections or our difficult time trusting. And so we have all these tapes and messages that are things that maybe are not true or they're contrary to what God's trying to say to us. And so they get in the way. And we talk talked about last week about how God, uh, in revealing who he was, his identity to, to Moses and his authority over all things, he, he began to clear those messages and those, those things and replace those messages with new messages uh, in Moses's mind so he could hear God's voice. Today, today I want to get super practical. 
And I wanna talk about one way every single person in this room, everybody who's watching, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus or not, you can hear from God. I, I believe this. There's, there's one way that I believe you can hear from God and I, I wanna be super practical. You can hear from him personally and specifically and clearly and definitively that you in your life can gain some direction and some understanding from God um, in one particular way. Now, to get there, I want to start with this. One of the most common things I get from people all the time, uh, one of the most common questions as a pastor I get from people is, is how do I know God's will for my life? Anybody ever wondered, like, how do I know God's will? And maybe it's not like the, 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 the big, you know, God's will, but like the, you know, how do I know if I'm supposed to make this decision or that decision? Go down this path in, in this career or go in this one or, or, or how am I, am I supposed to pursue this relationship or another one? Just, and sometimes it's just, how do I respond to these circumstances in this situation that I'm in? And sometimes I think we make this too mysterious. It's, it's not that mysterious um, because God's will, there is a, a part of God's will that's, that's his known will. And God's known will in, inside of that is his providential and his moral will. And we see this in the scriptures. There's things that God says in the scriptures that he's going to do. And he's going to do it regardless of whether you jump on board and help him or not. He's just, he's just decided this is something I'm doing in the world. Here's, here's uh, one of my plans or here's one of the things I'm resolved to do. You see this throughout the stories of the, of the Old Testament particularly. God says he's going to do something. And sometimes God changes his mind. But there are things that God says that he's going to do, that he's going to do with or without our participation. And then there's God's moral will. It's like, you know, hey, if, if we see this uh, through te the teachings of Jesus and the apostle Paul that, that like, hey, this is what it looks like to be a Jesus follower. If you want to be a representative of God, here's what that looks like in your, your business and in your relationships and, and on and on and on. But then there's also the unknown will of God. And this is what people are usually asking. Like what's God's personal and individual will for my life when it comes to the nuances of my decisions and my story and my situation? What are God's plans and purposes for me? Now, one thing that's important is these two things are never gonna contradict themselves. So God's, getting, God's never gonna ask you to do something or have a plan for your life that contradicts his providential or moral will. And one of the things we're gonna see in the story of Moses is that God speaks to him and it's consistent with something that God's doing. Now, I, I want to acknowledge that in the story, as Moses is documenting his story, he tells us that, that God speaks to him audibly and gives him personal direction. But that's not always the way that God speaks. God speaks in, in lots of different ways. And, and, and that's a little bit what I want to talk about today is uh, God speaks in several different ways. And in, in my experience, and, and I'll just say this, you may, you may have heard the audible voice of God before. I've never heard the audible voice of God in my life. However, um, I, I feel like God has spoken to me a lot. I feel like God has led me. God has told me. He's brought thoughts into my mind. And, and uh, years ago, I did a study. Uh, uh, it's called Experiencing God. Anybody know Experiencing God? Henry Blackaby. It's an old study. But he talks about four specific ways that God speaks. He speaks through the Bible. He speaks through prayer. Uh, he speaks through the events in our lives or, or the circumstances of our lives. And then uh, he speaks through uh, people other people in our lives. And, and typically when one or more of these things overlap, when, when one or more of these things are sort of, of, of line up, you can be confident, you know, that this is a way that God's speaking. But one of the things I want us to discover today is alongside that and, and sort of through this lens, like I, I, I believe wholeheartedly God speaks through these things, but, but we, we've, we've talked about these two things when God actually ends up getting our attention, 
And we're going to see this in the story of Moses. And, and he clears out the voices that are contradicting, maybe cultural voices, maybe voices of oppression from our past, maybe some dysfunction from our families. I know you probably don't have that, but I have, that, I have some of that in my family. And, and the thing is, is one of the things we're going to discover today is that God had already been speaking. He had already been speaking to Moses. Moses hadn't heard him. He hadn't seen it. But when Moses tells his story, we recognize that God had already been speaking. Moses' life is an illustration and an affirmation that God is always speaking. Now, uh, I need to give a little bit of context. If, if we go back, if you weren't here week one, um, Jacob uh, was Joseph's father. You remember God, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. God, the world was a mess. God started over. He started with Abraham. He said, I'm, I'm, through him, I'm gonna make this family, this great nation. They're gonna, they're gonna uh, through their, their family, is gonna come a savior that's gonna rescue the whole world. And so uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob has 12 sons, one of his sons named Joseph. And as their family was growing, uh, what happened was Joseph was mistreated by his brothers and he was sold into slavery. He ends up in Egypt and he, he's in jail. He ends up gaining a lot, of, uh, a lot of rapport with the Pharaoh. He interprets a dream. He becomes the second most powerful person in Egypt, such that when there's a famine, he reaches out to his family and says, bring the whole family to Egypt and we'll take care of you because Egypt has, has plenty and so the, the Egyptians, or excuse me, the, the, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they come to, into Egypt and they're cared for. Well, eventually, and again, as we open the pages of Exodus, all that happens in the book of Genesis, and we open the page of Exodus, at the very beginning, Joseph dies. He's the, the first, the, the second in command over all of, 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 of Egypt, and there's nobody to protect the Hebrew people. But the Hebrew people still, they grow, they multiply, the scripture tells us, and they grow both in number and in power. Well, then the Pharaoh dies, the Pharaoh that was connected to Joseph, and there's a new Pharaoh, and this Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, and he doesn't know of the, the story of the Hebrew people, and he's insecure because the Israelites are growing in number and power. He's worried about them taking over, and so he does something very shrewd, and he enslaves the Hebrew people, and, and, and the Egyptian empire grows and becomes more powerful because they have this free labor and they're mistreating and misusing these people. And then he does something that, that's unthinkable. The scripture tells us in, in Exodus, at the end of chapter one, it says, then Pharaoh commanded his people, every son, this is, is an edict or a decree or a command, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. That all of the sons, there should be, we're gonna, this is population control. We're not gonna let them get more powerful and grow in number. We're gonna, for a period of time, we're gonna cast all the, the young boys into to the Nile. So then, it's, it's amazing. There's, there's this, we start chapter two, and I, I wanna do something that I haven't done before here. And I'm gonna read a, a, a large portion of scripture, and I want you to pay attention. And I particularly want, it, want you to pay attention to something. There's something that's happening in the Hebrew language that I'm gonna to try to bring out in the English language. Now, the Hebrew language is this beautiful language with, with parallels and all these literary devices. And particularly in chapter two, throughout chapter two, there's these contrasting couplets of things that are happening. There's, there's things that are, that, are, that, are, uh, that are ordinary things that happen, like just ordinary, everyday things that you would expect to happen. And then... They're contrasted or in, in, right alongside them or coming out of those ordinary things, there's a series of extraordinary things or extraordinary things that happen. 
And they're, they're sort of the, the things that, that you wouldn't expect and you wouldn't, you wouldn't actually know that these things were coming. And, and we're gonna see that there's, there's a whole bunch of these things. And so I'm gonna read this and I'm actually gonna read it out of my Bible. And I say this all the time. If you don't have a Bible, I want you to have one because I, and I'm trying, this is what I'm trying to do. I want you to love the scripture. These stories are so powerful and, and so unique and they have say, say so much to our lives as hopefully you're gonna see in a minute. But, um, and, and I, I need to use my glasses because um, I'm, I'm soon moving out of my mid forties. Um, I turned 49 this year and I'm holding on to the mid. Um, I'm told that that's not, that's not legal, but um, I want you to listen to this. And I want to look, I want you to, to see the ordinary next to the extraordinary in this story. The beginning of chapter two, verse one, it says this, about this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. No names, just a man and woman from the tribe of, Le- from the tribe of Levi. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she saw that he was a special baby. And she kept him hidden for three months because of, of, of the, the command to throw the, boys, the baby boys in the Nile. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket, just a normal basket, and made it made of papyrus reeds. These are very common. But she waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she would put the baby in a basket, this word basket. It's the same word the Hebrew people would have recognized. the same word used for ark in Noah's ark. This baby is going to be protected from the water, is going to be protected um, for this period of time that he's in this this ark, and he, she laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the river, which she would do normally, and, and, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket, or the, the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. She thought, this must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women? I I love this. This is so shrewd. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me. uh, Nurse him for me, the princess Uh, said to the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. And later when the boy was older, the mother brought him back to the Pharaoh's daughter, daughter who adopted him as her own son. Now there's, there's a lot happening here and we read a lot. I'm sure you captured most, if not all of it, but I want you to see this. Don't, don't miss this. The, 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 this, this uh, baby boy was born to two parents. We get no names. It's, it's almost as if to say, these are just two Hebrew people that have a child. They're from the tribe of Levi, but they're two Hebrew children, or the, two, two children of, of Israel that, um, that have a baby. And, and they, they don't really have any names. There's nothing unique about them, but they have this special child that, that they're gonna try to protect. And I'm sure every mother wanted to do that, but there was something unique about this child. And so um, the mother, she takes a basket which I told you, it was just an ordinary basket made out of the normal materials of the day. But, but when she uh, sort of made some customizations, we'll call the basket, it turned into this ark. And we have this unique word of something, this would have been a clue, something extraordinary is happening here. And then the, the, the princess, she comes down to, to bathe 
which is, which is common. She's going to take a bath down by the river. She, so she comes down to the palace and she comes down to the river's edge to take a bath and she sees this ark and she has it brought to her and she finds a baby. Like this extraordinary thing happens. This, this baby that, that, that's, in this, that's in this little basket. And it's not just a baby. He's actually a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew boy. Which what, that, what you would expect at this point is that, that, that she's going to defend her, her family's royalty. You know, she's part of the family line. And the reality is, is, is she would be, uh, what would be important to her is to follow the commands of the Pharaoh, but also um, she would want to preserve their family's legacy. And so this, that, that's what this whole thing was about with the Pharaoh. He, he wanted to, to fight for his throne. But we find out that she doesn't cast the baby back into the water as is commanded. She has compassion on him. And then we find out that the baby's crying, presumably because he's hungry, because the, the, the older sister who's watching nearby comes and says, hey, the baby's crying. Do you want me to get one of the Hebrew women to, to nurse the baby? And the, the baby's hungry. So what's interesting is she goes and gets the baby's mother. And not only does the mother get to nurse her child, the mom gets paid. Can I get an amen from moms? Like, it's like, Good gracious, mom should get paid for that. And it's like, this is, we could close the service right here. It's like, there is a God in heaven. Look at what, look at what he's done. I mean, so this is, this is what's happened. It's like this extraordinary thing next to these ordinary things. And then we were told at the end that, that she comes back and Moses goes from being a slave to becoming royalty as he's adopted uh, into the royal family. And there's, so there's these series of things that, that are, go from, you know, these ordinary events that right next to them, these, these, all these couplets over and over and over. And again, in the Hebrew language, it's undeniable that these things happen. It's, it's the ordinary that seems to turn into the extraordinary, or another way to say it, the extraordinary that comes out of the ordinary. And then there's this little break in the couplets. And, and we're told this, it's, it's seemingly uh, insignificant, but it, it's actually significant. The princess, she takes uh, this child into her possession and adopts him, and she, she named him Moses, which I told you the first week is actually Moshe in the, in the Hebrew, um, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Now, we're going to have to come back to this later, but this is, this is Moses' name. This is what it looks like uh, in Hebrew. It, it's, um, it, the, word, the word Moshe, it actually means to lift or to draw out, this is, this is the name she, because she's lifted him out of the water, but it's, it's more significant than that. There's something else and more important going on here. And so the story actually goes on, and, and I, I don't have time to read all of it, but you should read it. It's a fascinating story. We've talked about some of the events. Moses, when he gets, uh, several years later, as he gets older, he comes out to visit the Hebrew people to see uh, and, and to, to find out about his people. And when he sees them, he realizes uh, that the, their, their labor, they're doing hard work. And not only are they doing hard work, they're being severely mistreated by the Hebrew slave masters. And so Moses takes justice in his own hands and he, and he slays, he kills one of the Egyptian, Egyptian slave masters. And then a couple of, actually the scripture tells us the next day, he goes back out and he finds uh, two Hebrews that are fighting with each other. And again, Moses is for his people and he's for justice. And so he, he's trying to break up the fight. And he's like, hey, stop fighting. I was just out here yesterday and I was trying to save our people. And, and he did this very, like in secret. When he killed the Egyptian, he barely was made sure nobody was watching. What was interesting is somebody saw it because these two Hebrews that were fighting with each other, they basically said, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill one of us too, just like you did the Egyptian? 
And they basically, what, what they did was they basically rejected Moses and they rejected his help. And we don't know if it's because he was from the pa- palace or, or why it was, but it, it's, it's, it's strange. He was trying to protect. He was trying to stand up for his people and they reject him. So Moses gets concerned that other people know, and he was right because the Pharaoh finds out. And so the Pharaoh tries to, to kill Moses and Moses flees and he takes off and he ends up in Midian. And, and you would think he's got this fresh start, but the, the pattern continues. We've talked about this. He, 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 he goes and there's two, there's two, there, there's some women uh, that are, that are being, um, uh, that, are, that are being harassed by these low-life men and, and he protects them. He stands up for them. And, and they, it seems like they've been being harassed by them for a while, but Moses steps in and he impresses their father such that he gets a wife and a job out of the deal, which is amazing. Like, it's just extraordinary how, the, how this works. And then, and then he's, he's out tending the sheep, doing his job. He's out in the wilderness, like doing nothing, probably wondering, what am I doing out here? What, what is the meaning? Like, what? How did I get here? And, and he, as he's tending the sheep, this is the story we started with. He runs into this burning bush. Now, I, I don't know about you, but this is, this is fascinating to me. And, and this is the thing you have to remember. This is really important. This is essentially Moses giving us his autobiography. The Torah is, is uh, predominantly attributed to Moses. There were several, we know there were several contributors, but Moses uh, was the, the primary contributor to uh, the Torah and specifically, obviously, his life. And when he's telling his own story, he's telling us these events, these ordinary things that happen, but these, these really extraordinary things that he could have never controlled or he could have never determined or made happen in his life. And, and some of them are things that God could have prevented that maybe weren't so great. And there are some others of them were things that God permitted that, that, that maybe were great or they weren't great. Either way, he's just telling us his story. And as Moses is telling us his story, he's telling us something that's true about all of us. He's telling us that he has a past. He has a past and some of it he's proud of, some of it he's not. He's moved around. He, he's lost, as we t- said last week, he's lost a sense of himself. But we, so we see this storyline of his past and, and these unique things and he, he shares it in a, in a unique way. But we not only see his past, we see his passion. Moses, like you and like me, he has certain passions and interests and desires. He, for him, he has a burden. Like some of you, you have a burden and he has a burden that, that shapes the direction and the path of his life. And I think God's involved in all of these things, his past and his passions. He, he's been given, designed, and created with a unique personality. And I, I don't know what your personality is or, or what personality assessments you, you've looked at, but Moses, I believe, was an Enneagram 8. And he's like, look, get out of my way. You can either jump on board or you can get out of the way because I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if you're in my way, you're going to get run over. And that's exactly what he's doing. And so Moses just keeps pressing forward. And we need Enneagram 8s in our world, but he has a unique personality. And not only has a unique personality, but he has a unique set of relationships, a unique set or a group of people that were involved in his life. And these four things are true about all of you as well. You have a past and a, a personality, a unique personality, and you have certain passions and people involved in your life. But, but Moses, as he tells his story, he tells this story about the ordinary of life, but he contrasts it with these extraordinary things that are happening. Now, fast forward, years pass. 
And the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. So his people, Moses' people, he's off in Midian. And, and, and uh, he's in a new family, but his, his people continue to groan. And God, we're told in the scriptures, God hears uh, their groaning. And he remembered his covenant promise, his promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel. And God knew now's the moment, now's the time to act. So then God gets Moses' attention through, through the burning bush in the wilderness. And, and he clears out the messages in his mind and so that he can, Moses can hear specifically from him about him and what God wants him to do to give the direction that he wants to give him to him in his life. And he says this, he says to Moses, we looked at this last week, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't miss the imagery. I have come down. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to lift these people up and I want to take, take them out of the land they're into a good and broad land, not the narrow, uh, uh, confining land of slavery. I want to I lead them into a broad land where they have freedom. And I want to lead them to a land that flows with milk and honey, a, a, a land of abundance. So I, I want to use you, Moses. I, I'm coming down. I want to use you to lift up, to draw my people out of this oppression so that they can experience the freedom and the abundance that I have for them. So come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now last week, we saw that Moses initially, he responds out of fear, which no wonder, the, he's sending them back to the guy that's trying to kill him. Like, I'd be fearful too. And I love this honesty and the humility and the humanity in which he tells the story. But knowing the story of his life, and knowing about Moses' past and his personality, his passion, and the, 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 the people and the network of relationship he's connected to, th th this, is, this is what's amazing. That, that, that Moses himself, this is his story, that the princess in, in the story, she comes down to the river and she lifts Moses up out of the, li the, the river. And, and, and it's, it's obvious to me. I don't know if it's obvious to you. It seems super obvious. I think Moses is trying to make it really obvious. This is what Moses was made for. He's made for this moment when God invites him into this adventure and this journey. Moses has been lifted out of the river. He's been lifted out of slavery. He's been lifted out of insignificance. He's been lifted out of the hands of the Pharaoh. He's been lifted out of homelessness and joblessness. He's lifted out of being a foreigner and placed into a family. He's been lifted out of the ordinary and the mundane of the wilderness. And God says, I'm gonna do something extraordinary. I'm gonna lift you into something unique. See, Moses' story, as he's trying to tell it, is both an illustration and an affirmation that God is speaking and God is leading and God wants to use your story. It's like this famous phrase. You remember this phrase, actions speak louder than words? It can be, it can, this can be leveraged in a lot of different ways and interpreted in a lot of different ways. But this is the same thing that's true about God. God speaks through both his actions and his inactions. God speaks both through the things that he causes to happen in the world and the things that he allows to happen in the world, the things he prevents and the things that he permits. Many times when it comes to our circumstances and the experiences in our lives, we think, you know, you'll experience something. You'll be like, what was that all about? Like, why, why, why did that happen to me? Why did God allow that to happen to me? Why, why did God prevent that? 
Why didn't God prevent that? He prevented that for somebody else. Why didn't he prevent that in my life? And why did he permit this thing to happen when he could have prevented that thing? We don't know why God prevents and why God permits. And sometimes we find ourselves in situations where like we didn't expect we would end up here. And it's like, well, where do I go from here? And sometimes that's good and sometimes it's bad. It's like nothing went according to plan or everything went according to plan. I got everything I thought I wanted and I still don't feel fulfilled. I don't feel like this, this has purpose. And, and so where do I go from here? And, and, and if, if you, you're, you're not uh, at Buckhead Church, if you're one of our other campuses, I want to quote somebody who's a, become a legend around here, but he's a real person and he had a big influence in my life. He was uh, my boss for a while and a former lead pastor here at Buckhead Church, Jeff Henderson. And um, he's, he's got a lot of fans, but this phrase he used to say all the time, he used to say, look, God's thumbprints on you are clues about his plans for you. God's thumbprints on you are clues If you'll pay attention, there are clues about the plans he has for you, the direction he wants to send you in. And when you follow these clues, you get a clearer sense of God's direction and a deeper sense of God's purpose. And ultimately, you arrive and you experience God's best in life. You experience not just the ordinary of life. You experience the extraordinary. Listen, this is what's true about you. And I don't know if you recognize this, but you have a past. You know this, you have a past. And you have a unique story. And some of you go, well, if you knew my past, my past is a mess. Like it's a disaster. It's full of mistakes and full of missed opportunities. There's there's no way God can do anything with that. And you may or may not be able to receive this today. I I both want to shoot something down and I mean no offense in this, but I I told you I'm going to tell you the truth. Nowhere in the scripture does it say everything happens for a reason. It doesn't say that. Here's what it does say. And I mean, no offense. If you say that, it's fine. It's your prerogative. It's just not not in the scriptures. Don't attribute it to God. It doesn't say that. Here's what it does say. It says that God can redeem all things. God redeems all things. So so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And you've heard me say this before. If that's true, what that means is that God wastes nothing. There's nothing that has happened to you or that has happened in your life that God can't use to redeem and turn into something extraordinary, something extraordinarily good in your past. So regardless of what you think's disqualified you or it can't, there can't be anything good come from it, you have too small a view of our God because he can redeem anything. Not only that, you have passions and we shy away from this. You have certain desires. And, and it is true that, that um, and we discredit this oftentimes when we have desires that seem unspiritual, but those, the, the, the things that you desire most inside of you, that your, your, your deepest longings, these things, when they're corrupted and they're perverted, the enemy wants to use those to take you down. And they lead to our greatest struggles in life. And sometimes they lead to our, 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 our biggest regrets and our worst mistakes. But here's what the, what the truth is, is when we begin to surrender those desires and say to God, why have you allowed this desire to be in my heart? When, what God wants to do is he wants to direct and fulfill the deepest desires of your heart. That's what the psalmist said. And he will give you, ultimately deliver the deepest desires of your heart when you surrender them to him and allow him to guide you and direct you according uh, to his will and his way. You, you've, been given, you know, you've been given a unique personality and some of you, you want somebody else's personality. You want somebody else's wiring. When it comes to the personality assessments, by the way, I, I don't think there's one that's the best. I think you should take all of them. I do. 
Some of you are like, no, I hate all those things. But here's why you should take all of them. Because if you took, let's say you took uh, the Myers-Briggs and you took Right Path and you took the Enneagram and you took StrengthsFinder and you took whatever it is, Working Genius or what, the, the Judgment Index. There's a whole bunch of, you take all of them. If you took all those, you couldn't find one other person that scored exactly the same as you to all those because they all have different nuances and there is no one like you in the world. Our God is that creative. There is no one like you. I mean, that's amazing. You're like, well, I don't like who I am, but God created you uniquely with, with, with a purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. Not only that, he's gifted you with relationship. He's not only gifted you with a story and, and unique wiring and personality and passions. He's gifted you with a neat, unique set of relationships. And some of those are to drive you away from certain things in life. Others of those are to lead you towards certain things in life. Others of those are, are, are relationships. God wants to use you in people's lives according to his will and what he wants to do in and through you. And here's what you need to know. The most significant relationships in your life are not coincidental. They're providential. They're people that God has brought into your story and he wants to use their influence. He wants to use those relationships in significant ways. You see, when you think about your story, you, you think about all the normal stuff in your story. And I think this is why Moses tells the story the way he does. You think your story is normal because it's your story. You don't think there's anything extraordinary about it. But there's clues in there for how God wants to take what's seemingly ordinary and do something extraordinary in that. Here's what's true is, is most of us don't realize it, but um, when it comes to our story, you, you have a unique set of things in your past. You have a unique personality uh, that, that's unlike anybody else. You have a different set of passions. Again, when you start to line all these things up together, there's nobody that has the same past personality, passions, and the same set of relationships with people in your life. The truth is, is God wants to use all of these things. In fact, God not only wants to use all these things, he's speaking through these things in your life to help you to discover what he wants for you to discover. And that is the purpose that he has for you in life. God has a unique purpose for you in life and he wants you to discover it. And here's what's so amazing. That's what Moses discovered. Moses discovered that God's purpose for him was to be a lifter. Now that's not God's purpose for you. But God's purpose for Moses when he realized his story and his wiring and his passions and the, the people he had connections to with was that God had come down and lifted him out of those waters. And now when God's coming down to lift the people of Israel out of, out of slavery into freedom and, and out of um, their, their, their confines and, and the, the lack that they have into abundance, it's no coincidence that he calls Moses. It's his story. There's a couple in my neighborhood. Their names are Tommy and Phyllis. And I've been trying to get to know Tommy and Phyllis for some period of time. And uh, we moved into our neighborhood about a year and a half ago. And uh, some friends told me, hey, you know, Tommy and Phyllis, your neighbor, I'd love for you to get to meet them, get connect them. Um, and, and several friends, I mean, lots of different friends tried to connect us and it just didn't work out. We kept missing them and some different neighborhood events. And when you come into our neighborhood, our house is off here to the right. And, and literally, if you just go right around the corner to the left, there's a cul-de-sac and they lived in there. And I, I was wanting to connect with them uh, so much that it was probably creepy at times because I'd walk in our neighborhood. <laughs> And I'd, always, I'd walk down into their cul-de-sac and around their cul-de-sac because I thought maybe they'll walk outside sometime and I can just say hello and, you know. And the reason I wanted to get to know them is because um, I knew some people that loved and cared for them deeply. I'd never met them. 
Um, but Tommy's been a two, two and a half year uh, bout with cancer. And he's been fighting, uh, literally fighting for his life. And um, so Wednesday, just this past week, this is, this is how recent, this is how, how, how this happens. Just on Wednesday, I came home and I was rushing home to eat a quick dinner because I had to go back out. We had some friends that were coming in from Arizona. And so I, I, I was coming home real quick to eat dinner. I was gonna go back out and get them at the airport. And when I got home, um, I found out that their flight had been delayed. And so I had a little more time and I was gonna be able to you know, sit down and eat dinner. We had a friend over, a good friend of our family friend came, had come over and she was eating dinner with us. And, and so I got to sit down with the family and we were catching up and we're sitting there at dinner and uh, our friend, our family friend receives a text message. And it's from one of her good friends who ironically I had met two months ago at an event I was speaking at in Florida. And it's, didn't know this at the time, but it's Tommy's grandniece. And she texts my friend and she said, hey, I was pulling neighborhood. Is, is that your car that's at the Thomas's house? And she said, yes, that, that's me. She said, well, all the family's gathering at, at, at um, Tommy and Phyllis's house because, um, you know, it, things don't look good. And Tommy's come home. Um, he's not receiving any more treatment and he's just going to spend his last days at home. And Phyllis um, just felt like it would be really great if Joel would be willing to come over and, and pray for us. And I didn't need a Bible verse at that point. I looked at my wife and she said, you should go. I looked up and I said, yes, Lord. Because <laughs> that's, that's how the Lord speaks in my life many times. It's through my wife. <laughs> yes, Lord. So um, I headed over to Tommy and Phyllis. I've never been there. And I walked up to the front door and Phyllis met me at the front door. And we stood in the entry to their house for a few minutes. And um, one of the reasons this is a passion for me is because um, this is my story. Um, I lost my dad to cancer. And um, I remember all the family being gathered at the house in the last days before he passed. And I remember what that's like. I remember how hard a moment that is. And that somebody would show up and know that and provide some encouragement. I knew the importance of that because people did that for us. And so we stood in the front entryway to their house for a few minutes and she said, yeah. I said, well, how can I pray for you? And what do you want me to do? And she said, um, she said I, just, I just would like that you'd pray for peace for us. Um, Tommy's been battling um, renal cell carcinoma for two and a half years. which is the exact same cancer my dad passed away from. She said it's a brutal disease and it um, takes away all your dignity and it's really difficult. And um, Tommy's been in and out of consciousness and um, he's struggling. I can tell he's struggling to fight, to hold on. And I'm a fighter too and I want to fight, but I, I'm tired. I, I want to be at peace. And you just pray for God's peace and think initially a lot of the family wanted to all gather together. And I said, hey, could, could we just do this? Just me, you, and Tommy? I don't know. I can't remember. We just went in the room together. We shut the door. It was just the three of us. And I pulled out the scriptures, First uh, Thessalonians 4. I read this to several people before, but it talks about how we don't have to worry when people fall asleep, which is how the New Testament talks about death. Isn't that beautiful? They're just falling asleep because this isn't the end. So when people fall asleep in this world, you know, and as their soul transitions to heaven, their physical body, 
um, it, it falls asleep in this world. Um, you don't have to worry because uh, we don't have to grieve like people without hope because, because of Christ and his resurrection. He promised that in the last days he'd do the same thing for us. And so I just read this scripture and I encouraged them with this word. And I, I said, I just told Tommy and, and he was in and out. And I told Tommy and Phyllis, I just said, um, here's how I'm going to pray. I, I'm not worried about you, Tommy. And just a short while, um, you're going to be better than fine. I know it. I believe it with all of my heart. Um, so, but I'm going to pray that you would have the peace to transition to heaven peacefully. And then I'm going to pray that that God would devote the most of his strength to Phyllis. Because the ones that are left behind have it the hardest. I know because I looked at her and I saw my mom. I saw what she had been through. This is the hardest moment in life. Some of you experienced it saying bye. I said to Phyllis, I said, I'm going to pray that you'll be okay, but I know you will be. I just prayed a prayer of faith that God would be near to both of them. That Tommy could do the ultimate trusting by just letting go. And that Phyllis could believe that this was God's timing and that he would be with her and he would care for her and he would give her the strength. By that time when I finished praying, um, some of the other family wanted to talk, but I truthfully, I received a text message that said, from my friends from Arizona that said, just landed. And I was like, oh gosh, I got to go to the airport. <laughs> so I hurried out of there and got in my car and drove to the airport. We're on our way back from the airport. And I saw, I got a text message from Phyllis. And um, I, I, I couldn't read it. I was driving the car. So I waited until I got home and um, we carried the stuff in. I was standing uh, near the garage and I'm reading her text message. And she said, thank you for giving us the greatest gift. Less than an hour after you left the house, I believe Tommy peacefully transitioned to heaven in his sleep, believing that God had us, that we were gonna be okay. And I have this strange peace that this was God's timing. And this is the greatest gift we could have received. Lest you glorify me, I'm a normal guy. I know I don't seem normal. I'm a little bit of a nerd sometimes, but I'm a normal guy. I just went over and, and, and just prayed for them. And I just read a scripture and I just encouraged them. And then I left. Some of you are going, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sign up for that. But here's what you need to know for me. This is my story. This is who I am. In some ways, it feels like God made me for moments like that. When I got Phyllis' text, I thought, I felt so much honor to just be able to be there for them. And I got a front row seat to the extraordinary because I allowed God to use my past and my passion and my personality and the people that he brings into my life to watch him do something extraordinary that feels like it matters more than just the normal mundane and ordinary of life. Here's what you need to know. This is what the scripture says. We are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Don't miss this. This is not just about me. You, you, you are God's masterpiece. 
He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things he planned for you to do long ago. God's thumbprints on you are clues about his plans for you. He has a plan for you. And if you'll give him your attention, you'll clear out the voices and the messages that are trying to distract you from his voice. You will see as Moses did that God wants to speak personally and specifically clearly and definitively through your story. He's already been speaking and pointing you in a direction. And as you open your Bible and as you spend time in prayer and as you survey the events and circumstances and experiences of your life and you consult and listen to the people that are around you, here's what you're gonna discover. I believe you're gonna discover that more than ever before, you're gonna hear from him. You're gonna hear from him like never before because God is speaking through your story. He's speaking through your life. The same God that was the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the same God that heard the cries of the Israelites and came down to lift them up, the same God that chose Moses to be a part of his providential will, something he was gonna do in the world is the same God that wants to lift you out of the ordinary, out of the mundane of life. And he wants you to experience the extraordinary. He wants you to free, wants to free you from the things that are, that you find your value and identity into and lift you into an abundant life that's extraordinarily purposeful and into things and experiences that last forever, that matter beyond money, beyond power, beyond the stuff of this world and the recognition and the fame that we get. He wants to elevate you in the same way that he did Moses. He created you for something extraordinary and his thumbprint on you are the clues for the plans that he has for you in your life. Let me pray for you. God, I just pray for somebody today who's here. Somebody who's listened to my voice, somebody who's online or maybe at a campus or in a location far away from this place who thinks because of where they've been and because of their past or because they don't have the personality somebody else has or because they, they can't, they're not sure what their passions are or they don't know why they were born into this family, a family they wish they had born, been born into a different family and they got all sorts of questions and all sorts of concerns. I just pray that today, supernaturally, that you would be near to them and you would whisper, I waste nothing. There are no mistakes with God. Only redemption, only new beginnings. In Christ, you are created anew. God, I just pray you'd whisper that to somebody today who needs to hear it. And then I pray that you would lead this, lead them, lead us, lead all of us out of the ordinary and that you'd lead us into something extraordinary that you would, you would cause us, you would cause us to be people that, that don't get stuck in the, the stuff of this world and the stuff of earth, but you'd call us and lead us out into something extraordinary, the same way you did for people long ago. I pray that we would believe today that you're the same God that does the same things he's always done, the extraordinary in our lives and in the lives of people around us. I just pray that you would do it anew today. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. 
First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.